the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin, great to be with you tonight. And you heard it from the uh, President of the United States, Donald Trump. Sovereignty. If you want sovereignty, tell well, tonight we're just less than 48 hours away from uh, watching as uh, Great Britain uh, celebrates Brexit, which nobody thought would actually happen, I think, because they were able to delay it so long. We'll talk about that in a minute. But welcome to the program. It's a Pro-America Report. It's Ed Martin here. Great to be with you. Don't forget, go to edmartinlive.com. EdMartinLive.com. If you go there and you haven't been there before, you'll get a pop-up box. Put your email address in there. And at 5 a.m. tomorrow morning, you'll get an email from me that'll explain all you need to know. It's called The Wink, What You Need to Know. Sign up EdMartinLive.com right there and get signed up. And don't forget, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com for the show as a podcast. Listen live. uh, Tell your friends and uh, all the rest. So, all right. The Pro-America Report. We're going to go international for a minute. Uh, really grateful. A friend of mine, Raheem Kassam, is able to join us here in the first segment. Uh, Raheem is the former editor-in-chief of Breitbart News London. Uh, but before that, he had a senior role with UKIP. Uh, kind of, I'd say, in, in our parlance, you'd call him. He was the spokesman at one point for Nigel Farage and UKIP. But he also was kind of a senior counselor, you know, if you can call it. I mean, he's younger, a lot younger than Karl Rove or these guys. But he was kind of the guy, you know, working with Nigel on all these things. He also. Uh, is an author, and I have to tell him that his uh, thinking about him about two weeks ago, he had written a book on Enoch Powell, who was a very famous uh, British uh, politician, and he wrote a speech called The Rivers of Blood uh, and about immigration, and kind of way ahead of its time in 1968. And uh, Raheem, I have actually that book, and I was reminded of that when I was thinking of getting you on the program. So welcome. First of all, welcome Raheem Kassam to the program. How are you, sir? Well, thank you for having me, Ed, and I'm afraid I'm not so young anymore. Not as young as I was when I worked for Nigel. <laughs> well, we're n- none of us are as young anymore, I guess. There's, so there's something to that. But still, you packed a lot into however many years you already have. But you must be sitting here. I know you're in the stateside right now, and you do a lot of work in Washington, D.C. You you co-host the uh, War Room podcast with Steve Bannon, and you just do a lot of different things. Uh, but, Raheem, you must be watching sort of with this mixture of satisfaction, but also maybe a little incredulity that it finally is going to happen in two days, that Brexit will happen. Now, tell us what your thoughts are and, and what you think. Well, I was always of the belief, Ed, that it would happen. The question for me was when would it happen and under what terms would it happen? You know, people often forget that when uh, you Americans declared your independence, you didn't really get full functioning independence um, until about 1815. Um, so that was a long, old time to wait to have the full uh, institutional independence as we, as we know it as sovereignty uh, today. And I've reminded people over these last uh, four years since Britain voted to leave the European Union that, you know, it will come. It just, it just depends on how quickly we can make it happen. Uh, the other part of that is the terms under which it happens. Now, the reason I'm not flying back to London and celebrating in Parliament Square like so many other people uh, will be doing uh, in just a couple of days' time is because 
while uh, Saturday marks the point of no return, i.e. Brexit can no longer be thwarted um, by the courts, by Parliament, by the European Union itself, it is still not a firm, full leaving date. That comes uh, after the transition period is over. We have all sorts of instruments and institutions and regulations and directives that we have to uh, remove ourselves from, write different laws to get out of, return to normalcy takes time. Uh, the true leaving date is more like uh, in a year's time, but, but this, this uh, moment is historical. It is fantastic because it marks the point at which we finally say, right, we're out. We're definitely out, and now let's start the ball rolling in terms of getting into the sort of salami slicing away from all of those institutions and all of those rules that Brussels has forced upon us for so long. I was talking with Raheem Kassam, and uh, and Raheem, and by the way, you can go to RaheemKassam.com. He's got a lot of his stuff up there, his books, uh, links to his uh, podcast I mentioned with Steve Bannon and Jason Miller. Uh, Raheem, is it a bittersweet victory for Nigel Farage in the sense that, you know, he's not the, I mean, he's achieved maybe anyone's life goal. He's a kind of founding father or a refounding father, but he's not going to be in politics the same way right now. And I, and for a while, I, I, it looks like he's not going to be right. He'll be a public figure and people will know him, but he's not going to be in office. And so he's not, he's not in the parliament. He's not, I mean, the cabinet, yeah, parliament. Uh, it, what's your sense of that? How does that, how, how does, how, how does he celebrate and then be a, maintain a public figure? Yeah, I think it must be um, quite bittersweet for Nigel. He has, contrary to what most people may think from seeing some of the scenes in the European Parliament, and certainly the scenes that he causes in the European Parliament, it may seem like he's not a very popular character there. And, and certainly he's not a popular character with the leading figures in the European institutions, but he has made a lot of friends there. He has made a lot of allies. He has made a lot of people uh, within the European Parliament see the light as to what he started talking about way back in 1999 when he first entered the parliament as a, as a young whippersnapper as he was back then. And, and we were doing yeah. some compare and contrast of his early on speeches. In fact, his maiden speech in the parliament in 1999, we were comparing on our war room show this evening um, with the final uh, speech that he gave in the parliament today. Uh, of course, it must be quite difficult for him. It's been his whole life. It's been his life's work. Um, but Nigel is one of those people who, like Enoch Powell, that you mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, is, is sort of indefatigable. He doesn't, he doesn't have, he's like the energizer bunny. Uh, he just keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And I know that he has other uh, priorities politically that he wants to push the ball forward on. Uh, reform of our upper chamber, the House of Lords, the equivalent to your Senate, which is which is a, a politically appointed chamber. He wants to democratize that and bring it into the, the 21st century and, and, and add a populist element to it. Uh, so I don't think it will be the last you hear of him, but certainly no cause for him to go back to Strasbourg or Brussels anytime soon. And, and <laughs> well, Brussels is a particularly uh, uh, poor city. It, 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 it's not very exciting. It's not very fun. Um, Strasbourg actually is a lot of fun. Uh, uh, it's a great place to be. It's a beautiful city. Uh, lots of nice restaurants and all of that kind of thing. I'm sure he'll, <laughs> I'm sure he'll miss that element of it. 
Well, and Raheem, let me, we've got about three minutes or four minutes left, and let me ask you to put, we're talking Raheem Kassam, and again, I'll put up on social media, RaheemKassam.com. Put into perspective for us, because you have a unique position. You you were at the center of the Brexit fight and Nigel Farage and the UKIP rise. Then early on, you were someone who was observing what Trump was doing. Of course, what you described in, in Nigel's experience, his friends, as you point out, include members of the European Parliament that were leaders in Hungary, where the sort of conservative populist movement has taken hold in Poland and and especially Italy, Salvini and all these are all. So you look at the span now of what's happened in the last five to seven years. Where are we in that process? I mean, are, are you it's it's growing, but it's also shifting, right? You get Boris Johnson in charge and Trump in charge and they're hemmed in by their own weaknesses and the and their parties and the and the institutions. Where are we, do you think, in this sort of movement towards more? sovereignty and nationhood. What do you see coming next? Well, the wonderful thing is, considering what President Trump has managed to do here uh, against uh, this whole impeachment thing, while it's all been going on, he's managed to do some incredible things economically, managed to do some incredible things in the judiciary, managed to do some incredible things um, on trade. And it's incredible to think, actually, we're just at the beginning of all of this. We haven't taken over the institutions. As you see through the impeachment process, all of these career bureaucrats, all of these guys who still haven't been weeded out, imagine what could be done if actually we were, we were, we were set free from this, this, this five-decade-long managed declinist foreign policy establishment who have basically got everything wrong, right? You know, Iraq, Afghanistan, yeah. Libya, Syria, everything has been incorrect. And imagine if these people were no longer um, thwarting the president, the populist president of the United States, whether it's Trump or whether it's somebody in the future. Globally, we are just at the beginning of a, of a resurgence of, of, of nationalism, of populism, of pride in your country, releasing us from the chains of political correctness. So I'm very upbeat about it, but we have to be clear about one thing. The fight isn't over. In fact, it's just about starting. Well, and, and then let me finish with this. And, and, and I, I saw your uh, your piece on this. I think I saw some coverage of it. Maybe it was on Twitter. Um, for example... You get Boris Johnson in America, we think, wow, Boris Johnson, he almost looks like Trump. And he kind of ran on that populist and all. Well, he gets in office and he's already caved on Huawei and 5G, as you point out, uh, you know, kind of basically not even just given into China, given into the EU. That's what EU wants. And so you're going to get these imperfect leaders that may be directionally better, but aren't really 100 percent on the vision of what we the people want or, or the, the English people want. Right. Look, as, as you say, I was very I was very early on the Trump train. I saw him speak at Freedom Fest in Las Vegas um, in 2015, I think it was. And I said, look, that's the guy. A lot of people are still supporting Ted Cruz or Marco Rubio, whatever it is. I said, no, 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 that's the guy. Boris Johnson came along to be leader of the Conservative Party. I said, that's not the guy. Boris Johnson <laughs> is far more of a Paul Ryan-type figure. He's far more sort of concerned more about uh, economics and, and immediate sort of free market considerations. There's no consideration towards social conservatism, the country's culture, the pride, the nation state, and all of that. He doesn't really consider that a part of his uh, liberal conservatism is what he calls it. So, you know, unfortunately, we have to deal with Boris. It's a great shame, I think, 
that we're in bed with Huawei now, although there is still time for the British government to row back from that, people should mention it to their congressmen and their senators to actually put pressure on the British government to get rid of this Chinese stuff from their infrastructure. Because listen, we are your primary intelligence sharing partner in the world. You don't want to be sharing intelligence with a country that's got Chinese infrastructure at its heart, at its heart of its technology. And I know there are con- 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 congressmen who are concerned about this. There have been stories coming out about that. Uh, the UK and the US are going to be negotiating a new free trade deal in the, in the next coming months and years. They, the US should uh, put pressure on the UK to say, look, if you want a trade deal with us, if you want to continue our intelligence sharing relationship, our military shared relationship, then you can't be in bed with the Chinese at the same time. It just doesn't work. Yeah. All right, Raheem Kassam, thank you as always. Thanks for your insight. Uh, good luck with all the work you're doing. RaheemKassam.com. You can go there and sign up for his, e- his email updates and uh, and uh, follow all his stuff, his work, his writings. We appreciate it very much. Congratulations on Brexit. I'm sure you'll have a, uh, I don't know what, so what exactly, what would be the best English drink to have? Will you have a Newcastle or something? What would you have on, on Friday to celebrate? <laughs> a, bit of new, a, bit of, a bit of Nuki Brown. I might have a pint of Old Speckle Head, or I might have something the Queen would approve of, which, of course, would be a nice gin and tonic. <laughs> there you go. All right. Thanks, Raheem Kassam. Appreciate it very much. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be right back. FM 96.1 and AM 1170. The Answer. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here to Pro America Report. And this next story is one I've covered a lot. I've covered it in a number of different ways, different angles. It still sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit to me when I say the following to you. There are websites and places you can go where you can search for the Drag Queen Story Hour near you. Where drag queens go to the library and read... Um, and acts like, uh, you know, acts like um, dressed up uh, drag queens in front of your kids. And uh, you can go find out where to go to find that. And a lot of times you don't even know if you go search for it, you'll find out they do it in your own schools, your, excuse me, your libraries, the public libraries. And there's lots of reasons for it. I mean, there's a lot of I mean, let me be clear. It's crazy and deviant that people are thinking it's appropriate to have drag queens read to kids. It's really deviant. It's not. This is not normal. It's not acceptable. But there's lots of like you, you say. yourself, how does this happen? And one of the ways it's happened is because the libraries, our public libraries, have a lot of money. They have a lot of buildings. They have a lot of books. Well, that sounds pretty good. And then they have little oversight. And so this next story uh, is a follow-up to stories. Again, if you look all over the country, it's happening. I was just checking for our listeners in San Diego. They're listening here in San Diego. The closest uh, on one of the websites, the closest place it looks like there's an event is Palm Springs. So I can't believe that's true, though. It's got to be everywhere. And, And I saw this in Missouri and in Virginia. And uh, there's a story up, and we're welcome to the program, a reporter, a Calvin Freeberger, who writes at LifeSiteNews.com. Uh, and the story is about uh, Missouri, where one solution is to give some uh, more oversight to these uh, public libraries. So welcome to the program, Calvin. How are you, sir? Good evening, Ed. Thanks for having me. Well, good to have you. So, tell me about this. Uh, tell me about this solution to the problem. I mean, I, I think I, you, if you, you and I can stipulate that it's a problem that we have Drag Queen Story Hour, and we're worried. Maybe you don't have to, but I'll say that. And uh, and uh, and that we have this problem, and what are we going to do about it? And uh, besides keeping your kids from the public libraries, which seems, you know, I, my kids come home from school, my sons. 
and the school bus uh, drops him at the public library. And when I'm 10 minutes late, I tell him, you go inside to your homework. I mean, you should be able to trust that happen. But tell us what the, so one of the solutions that's happened in Missouri is, please. Absolutely. Well, um, in Missouri, uh, a Republican state rep um, by the name of Ben Baker um, introduced a, um, a piece of legislation. And what it, what it does is it establishes um, uh, local review boards, um, five-person review boards in every locality, um, of, comprised of parents that are elected by the community um, whose uh, sole responsibility is to, um, is to hear concerns about um, age-inappropriate material. Um, material can be books or it can be uh, presentations like Drake and Story Hours. Um, and then they right. hold hearings and, and then they take votes on um, whether that material should be um, kept away from minors. And, and and is anybody oppose it? I mean, does anybody oppose it, or how do they oppose it? Let me say it that way. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, well, there there's already been the um, uproar from the um, the LGBT organizations and so forth has been um, that this is censorship, this is book burning, which I mean is just absolutely false. But but yeah, it's it's the um, yeah there are um, li- library groups that are. Um, that are um, speaking out against it. So, yeah, the um, the opposition is out in force. Well, and I'm looking at uh, 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 Representative Ben Baker's Twitter feed and at Ben Baker Mo, if you want to check it out. And there's a tweet there, and it looks legit to me. It's a, it's a no- handwritten note from, uh, it says, Representative Baker, please just stop with your imbecilic proclivities. And then it says, signed, all the librarians in St. Louis City and County. And it appears to be on St. Louis Public Library letterhead. Now, I guess that could be faked, but I bet it's not. I mean, I don't think people. And let me ask you that part of covering this story. The arrogance of people in these positions of sort of quasi-authority slash service. You know, they're supposed to be serving the community, and instead they're telling us what to do and what to, and they're making us accept their agenda or the agenda they want. It's, it is pretty extraordinary. It's happened so fast, hasn't it? Oh, oh definitely. And wh- one of the things, I don't think um, a lot of people realize just how extreme um, organizations we think of as mainstream and authoritative have gotten, like like a lot of the American Library Association and so forth. Um, there's this idea that that they're just um, that that they're um, just interested in education and history and culture and sharing that with sharing that with with people. And no, I mean you look at um, any of these conferences, um, national conferences, and I, I mean, it's basically a a um, wish list of far left agenda items. Yeah, it's uh, and I guess I mean the good news is uh, in Missouri, and I know Missouri pretty well. Is uh, probably has a good, pretty good chance to pass because at least uh, in theory it should. There's a Republican House and Senate, and the, and the, the governor's uh, Republican. Is that what you're hearing, or what's the status? I mean, is there is there somebody who's sticking up for the uh, library boards and saying this shouldn't be done? What's the how's that look? Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, I um, I never really like to try to um, predict w- which way these winds are going to go, but I, I would I would imagine that the odds should be um, pretty good. 
Yeah. All right. Well, keep us informed. I think it's a, it's a, it, look. It's important. It's very important that people uh, figure out ways to fight back, and this is uh, you know a smart way to do it. And by the way, the House bill is two. Uh, excuse me, House Bill two zero four four, the Parental Oversight and Public Libraries Act, which requires libraries that receive taxpayer dollars create a review board and five parents and uh, make sure of you know per, uh, you wouldn't think you need this. It's almost like you have to have adult supervision. But there you have it. So something to shake them up and change the dynamic is what we. We need so all right thanks very much sir we'll put your again we do calvin freeberger life site news.com an extraordinary site so valuable i was reading it earlier today about uh, a man who was born after his mother was raped and he's talking about pro-life and just a stunning uh, interview and uh, great coverage so thank you sir for having uh, having uh, some time with us and we'll put all this up on social media let's take a quick break though i'm uh, be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report be back the answer, San Diego. Streaming now on smart speakers and radio.com. The Pro America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on The Pro America Report. And the man who is more a pro, pro America than anyone I know is uh, John Schlafly's with us next. John Schlafly, I was recounting for somebody the other day that two times, I had two events last week in Washington, D.C. at the D.C. Center, Phyllis Schlafly Center, the the uh, Capitol headquarters, and the same guy came in and he said, is John here? And I said, first time, I said, what are you talking about? He said, John Schlafly, is he here? I said, I love listening to the program. I hear, you hear John on It's always great. And the next day he came in again. He says, John here. I said, no, John's in Missouri. He's in St. Louis. He's not nowhere near D.C. right now. Uh, anyway, so, well, here he is now. So, John Schlafly, welcome back to the program. How are you? Oh, thanks, Ed. Good to talk to you. Uh, now, John, the, the column which posts uh, last night, Tuesday night, uh, Andy and John Schlafly do the Schlafly report. It's over at townhall.com, and then it's archived at phyllisschlafly.com, so you can see all the columns back. Uh, coronavirus spreads through globalism. So before we get to that, you being a uh, ardent, uh, rabid Trump supporter, like those crazies in New Jersey at the rally, like you would have been, you could, if you were, if you were tough enough to be from New Jersey, you could have been in that crowd. That's how rabid you are. But are you willing to concede it's somewhat confusing that the United States is still letting flights in from China? It, it, yes, I, uh, it, that's, uh, that's a big risk. I, I mean, you remember Trump was running for office. He said we, we ought to suspend, um, you know, uh, people coming from Muslim countries until we find out what is going on. And, you know, right. maybe that should take a, a leap from that for the this flu thing. And uh, as I was researching this a little bit, uh, Ed, it turns out that flu always comes from China. I mean, every year well, it does. the flu season yeah. and the yeah. flu virus is incubated in China, and it's because China, yeah. China, they have a million tiny little farms where they have pigs and ducks in close proximity, and that's what every year comes up with a new strain of the flu. And the coronavirus is another respiratory d- disease, sort of like flu, except for the fact that there's, there's currently no treatment for it, and no, and so it's it's dangerous until we get a handle on it. Well, and and, 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 and I have to say, animals and 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 uh, you know they just don't have in China the kind of sanitary conditions and the clean conditions for handling and processing food. Uh, Ed, uh, you know, I've just learned for the I've never been to Asia, but I don't know if you have, but 
apparently not only in China, but in other places in Asia, it's common to see these outdoor markets where they have all kinds of strange creatures. You don't even know what they are. Sometimes they're living. (laughs) Sometimes they've uh, slaughtered. Uh, that people will eat, <laughs> and uh, they call right. them wet markets, and uh, yes, there and there's no refrigeration, and uh, right. this is a kind of situation that disease can incubate and flourish and travel from animals to people. Well, I mean, John, I don't want to, I don't want to accuse you of first world bigotry here, but you know, for a few thousand years, maybe fifty thousand, how many thousand we've we been around? Just till a few hundred years ago, people didn't have refrigeration. And by the way, I spent a year of my life in Indonesia, and I can tell you that exactly what you described. You go to a little town, and the little town's main market is 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 it's an incubator. And 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 to be clear, the pharmaceutical companies go over scouting for the avian flu, they call it, or for the you know the. Uh, the uh, bird flu is sometimes what people call it, that they are scouting to see swine flu, what the newest ahead of getting to America. And a lot of times that's what the vaccination is. They figured out what could come uh, now. But here's my thing. Back to my point, And I, I know you don't want to cri- criticize your president ever. Why hasn't this president sort of done what you just said. I mean, at this point, we just don't know. The Chinese lie about everything, and they've admitted 150 or 200 people died from this. They've admitted they have 57 million people quarantined, and we're still letting people off a plane at Logan Airport in Boston with a mask on coming in from China. I mean, how stupid are we? Well, that is stupid. Now, I did read today yet, after we released the column, that uh, there was one plane containing 200 American citizens from the town of Wuhan, which is where this started, and it was diverted to a remote air base where the people are going to go through quarantine, and and they'll be watched for a few days before they're released. So that's good news. Those are people from that came directly, first of all, uh, came directly from that one city. But there are thousands, tens of thousands of other people coming from other places in China who are coming just the same as they always did with no one checking on them. You know what I love, by the way? We're talking with John Schlafly, and his column, we'll get to his column a little bit more, the fact that globalism and, and this idea that everybody can travel everywhere and nobody's going to control any borders and all, it's a good symptom of what's happening. But don't you love the Australians? The Australians, it's just like everything is hardier when you hear the Australians. If you have the flu vaccine or you're coming, no, you're coming from Wuhan, they're not even letting you onto the main Australia. They put you on that island where they have the other immigrants and migrants. They, they don't even let you get on the mainland. They're like, no, no, that's how you go over there, mate. You're just going to sit there. Like you said, a kind of quarantine, which works. I I know you don't listen to the Pro-America report closely enough, so I'll tell you the story again real quickly. Um, St. Louis is famous in the book uh, by Dave Barry about the influenza, uh, great uh, influenza epidemic of 1919, which is not the title. I'm I'm butchering it uh, because... They had a a very autocratic public health director in the early 1910s into 1918, 1920. And when he heard about the flu that was spreading, he canceled every public event, the Muni, everything. He didn't let anybody meet. You couldn't have any meetings over three people. And consequently, St. Louis had very low death rates from this influenza that swept through other cities in America. So I just want you to have that little detail because uh, but uh, John, back to your column. 
the uh, the spread of globalism. You must be interested. You might, I'm, I'm sliding off of your column a little. You must be interested to watch. Brexit's finally going to happen uh, Friday. You know, the, the uh, Salvini didn't win every election over the weekend, but he won a bunch of elections in Italy, which is another populist movement going. I mean, it's an extraordinary uh, time right here with these movements uh, sliding in the direction of populism and, and more uh, uh, populist uprisings, huh? Well, yes, and those are, you know, first of all, we've, we've been uh, promised Brexit so often now without getting it. But uh, so if it finally comes this weekend, well, that's finally. We've waited four years for that almost. And, uh, you know, and also what also may happen this weekend is is the Senate may uh, reject the articles of impeachment against President Trump. So that Trump can finally, at long last, in the fourth year of his presidency, have the, you know, devote his attention and energy to the uh, issues that he ran on. He's just been distracted so much uh, by the people who are determined to not let him be president. That uh, think how much time has been wasted by responding to the impeachment, by responding to the Mueller report. Uh, and, uh, so we get that behind him, and we make the most of his fourth year, and then we get the second term. Well, well and, and I'm jumping around a little bit, John, but it's, it's great to have you on, and I want to get another one. You know, one of the things, there was a ruling in the Supreme Court, five to four, I sent it to you earlier today because I had been struck by it, and I hadn't seen it, hadn't read it closely yesterday, but where uh, Justice Gorsuch uh, actually took a real hard swipe at these federal judges, uh, a, you know, a district court judge who has jurisdiction for the Eastern District of Missouri, for example, right? And he decides to enter a nationwide injunction against President Trump's policy on X. I mean, it's, it's half the time it's immigration related. Sometimes it's uh, it's related to uh, EPA, whatever. And he really took a whack at that, which was something a lot of us have been waiting for, because you can't have a system of law where some guy who's supposed to have jurisdiction over, a you know, a few uh, hundred square miles and a, and I don't know, a million people is suddenly deciding for the whole country. I, I thought you uh, would have been really pleased by that one. I was very glad to hear about that, Ed, because there have been over two dozen of those nationwide injunctions on a variety of subjects. And, uh, um, you know, no, so a federal judge, one federal judge, sh- uh, before his decision is even appealed to a higher court, shouldn't have the power to shut down the policies of the federal government as determined by the president. So that was very good news. All right, John, last question, and i got to let you go. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. There was Trump's policy, which, uh, which is a good policy, that we shouldn't let people into the United States as uh, immigrants who are immediately going to go on welfare or rely on the social safety net. And so that policy will go forward. All right, we're talking with John Schlafly. Now, John, i got one last question because we've got a, couple, a minute or so left. Uh, John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report, available over at phyllisschlafly.com, townhall.com. He writes it every week with his brother. John is a, a, a highly accomplished attorney. He's got an advanced degree uh, in, uh, in the law. He's done all kinds of things, writing and all, and uh, very, very accomplished. And the very first video, as far as I know, that ever, I've ever seen, I think it may be the only one, is John playing uh, the accordion uh, to the Notre Dame fight song when he's probably 12 or 14 so this is very important john we're building to this uh, it's a huge weekend and do you have a pick 
for the Super Bowl. And just to put, make sure that there's not going to be any problems here, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, and, right? And they're playing, uh, well, I don't know who else they're playing. I mean, anyway, do you have a pick on this? Well, um, <laughs> first of all, Ed, uh, are, are, is the Kansas City football team really allowed to use the name Chiefs? <laughs> I mean, how many years was, was there pushback against the Redskins? I, I mean, Indian mascots, I thought, were not allowed anymore. And well, wait a second. The Aren't Atlanta, the, f- the, the, what about the Atlanta Braves? I mean... Well, hold hold on. But wait, what are you going to do? In this case, John, it's the Kansas City Chiefs and the 49ers. Weren't the 49ers, aren't they like failed uh, minors or something? That's, that's probably not a good moniker either, right? So what are you going to do? You're going to root well, for the refs or the halftime show? Well, no, the the Forty Niners were the were the Americans who discovered gold at Sutter's Mill in California in 1849, and then that uh, thousands of other Americans came to stake their claim there. So that that's kind of a, and that's what led to uh, California becoming a state the following year. So, no, the Forty Niners is uh, that's about that's a positive uh, uh, ex- positive uh, symbol. Uh, all right. And, well, and course, so you're going so, with the so are the Indian mascots because. All of the Indian oh. mascots, you know, all kidding aside, they're meant to, as, as a respectful uh, treatment of our Native Americans. They're, they're meant to honor the good parts that, you know, our American ancestors saw in the Native people who we found here, and that includes their bravery. And so we had the Braves and the Chiefs, um, and they're entirely... So you're going with... And, so, and no one should take offense he, at that, Ed. <laughs> So you're being politically incorrect. You're going to take the Chiefs, and will you be will you be rooting for Shakira or uh, Jennifer Lopez during the halftime show? Do you have a preference or no? Well, all right, never no. mind. <laughs> uh, all right, well, so you're on, are you on record for the Chiefs? Just let me hear you say it. I want to because we want to revisit it next week. You're going with the Chiefs? Uh, yeah, I'm going with the Chiefs, Ed. All right, good. All right, John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report, available over at phyllisschlafly.com. And the title this week, Coronavirus Spreads Through Globalism. It's a good one, John and Schlafly. Thanks, John. We'll talk to you next week. We'll take a quick break, too, now, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back. Streaming now at TheAnswerSanDiego.com and Radio.com. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report. On The Answer San Diego. Hey, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Great to talk to John Schlafly. And let's wrap a few things up for you. Uh, you, you got some texts from folks. I mentioned earlier in the week uh, Bernie Sanders' surge. And now there's a story out. And you have to understand. So let me pause and tell you. On campaigns, and it includes at the presidential level, but on any campaign, uh, information, you, you only talk about information like polls and fundraising numbers and volunteers, number of attendees at an event, if it's good. If you hear something leaked, it's always good. They don't leak the bad. Now, sometimes you'll leak a number or information that's negative to get ahead of it, but not too often. So there's a story out today that the uh, Sanders team has internal polling that shows he's going to win in Iowa. The Iowa caucus is five days away. And so that's a big deal. And, And here's the other tell. None of the other campaigns disputed it. 
So the you know, and Sanders is betting, by the way, and and Iowa is famously fickle that he's not going to sort of peak on Friday night, and then the caucuses are on Monday night. Uh, but it looks like uh, Elizabeth uh, Elizabeth Warren is falling like a rock. Um, in fact, one of the pundits who is up there uh, on Politico, I think, said he actually thinks that the big surprise could be Amy Klobuchar coming in fourth ahead of Elizabeth Warren, which would be stunning if it happened. But here's what I want to talk about. And this is what I got a text uh, or an email from one of the listeners. I think it was an email that's, and, and go into this. There is a um, there is an article in the New York magazine that I noticed and it, and it fit another article I'd seen, I think, last week in The Hill. And, and that is it's about why Sanders, he had a heart attack six months ago. He looks like an old dude. It didn't look like it made sense to think he was going to surge and suddenly surging. Why? And the answer is. That AOC had endorsed him. AOC, you know, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the young congresswoman from New York City, she had uh, said she liked Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders a few months ago, and then she endorsed Sanders a few months after that. About six months ago, she said that about both of them. But here, but that's not the story. I mean, a- Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez is clearly a talented uh, political personality, right, and a personality of the moment. But that's, you know, there's plenty of that on, you know, on the, on the, there's not plenty. I mean, she's a pretty talented lady, but she was handpicked by people that ran a kind of um, uh, almost like a political American idol. They were looking for candidates. And again, this isn't uncommon. You would think that everybody would do it. You know, you're looking for people that have a lot of charisma, that look right, that are bright, that can get trained, that can. But she was one of the projects of the left and she had a lot of skill and they used her skill to train her up. And, and I think she believed all the stuff. I'm not saying she had to, 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 to change much, but she's being led and she's now part of the leadership of uh, an effort to move this thing forward. Not unlike Barack Obama, who was a state Senator and was groomed and, and moved up. You still have to have talent, still have to work hard. But the Bernie Sanders surge is happening precisely when the people who figured out how to make a bartender a year and a half ago, AOC, into an international phenomenon. She went to England over Christmas, I think, and she was mobbed. So these are people that know how to use the messaging and technology. And the articles, the coverage you're seeing is not that AOC is you know, helping a lot, but that she's the star and she's the star and she's putting her star power behind Bernie. And there's two things to know about this. One, the AOC wing of the party, which is aligned with Bernie, they don't have any, they don't want anything to do with uh, a deal. They don't want anything to do with Biden and all and say, hey, let, let's, you know, you guys, we got to win. We got to go with sort of an old white moderate guy. They don't, they're not in the mood to settle. That's not what they do. They run in. They were running in primaries. But the second thing you have to know is they're not novices. They're not bumbling around and someone says, oh, that's, you know, it's a, a bartender thinks she can be not, not, not a bartender thinks she can be a congressman. It's somebody who has talent who is then managed. That's like discovering a star. Was it the movie Star is Born? I think I watched that with my wife and they, you know, someone had real talent and then was discovered and then catapulted forward. But the, the Bernie Sanders surge is as much an indication that the fight, the civil right, 
excuse me, the civil war in the Democrat Party is real. And it's it's between the AOC, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren wing, the, you know, hardcore progressives and the establishment that the old establishment, the Democrats, still liberal, still progressive, Pelosi, Biden. But what's different about this is in the past four years ago, Bernie had sincerity and a lot of Bernie bros on his side. But the Clinton establishment, you know, the Democrats that could roll them and they did. But the combination now of Bernie's still here, he's got tons of donors, and more importantly, he's got sort of, he's picked up an A team. I think he was playing with a B or a C team last time, and he's picked up an A team. And I'm only telling you that to say, come Tuesday night, come Tuesday morning, late Monday night, less than a week from now, when Bernie Sanders is either the victor or the solid second, it's not an accident. It didn't happen sort of because... You know, Bernie's a nice old guy and all this. It happened because they put together the messaging with the talent. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal for the Democrat Party, and it's going to be a big deal for America, because if they don't win this time, they've still taken over the party. They've still taken over the party. So, all right. All that. Thank you for listening to the program. Don't forget, go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com to get all of our stuff there. You can get the show as a podcast anywhere you download a podcast. Search for the Pro-America Movement. Excuse me, the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin. You'll find it there and subscribe. Uh, And uh, thank you, as always, to our technical director, Noah, and out in St. Louis, our uh, producer, Booker Joanna, who helps us book these guests. We'll be back tomorrow night. We'll look forward to it. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Have a great night. Talk to you tomorrow.